All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. I am joined, as always, by my effervescent co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Mark, how are you doing? Effervescent. I love it. And, 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 and that counters, right? You know, for every yin, you need a yang and plus and minus. Mm. That counters. Uh, I did another show yesterday with some OMGs, right? Us mm. old macro guys. So effervescent <laughs> kind of balances out the old and uh, that's good. Although maybe the effervescent is the polydent that I'm going to need to take my teeth out. Um, but anyway, so I'll do the sock reveal real fast. So I, I am wearing, mm-hmm. you know, Bitcoin orange pants, right? Bitcoin Friday. But I mm. went I went old school back to the original uh, Bitcoin before it turned orange. Nice. Uh, and, and why did I do that? Why did I do that? Well, it's because and I don't think I mentioned this last week, but I had a pretty meaningful existential crisis, mini, mini existential crisis mm. over the holidays. Um, look, the shit that's going down, the whole FTX debacle, the nonsense, the enforcements, it, it, it's got me and, or it got mm. to me. And mm. it was one of these things where I'm like, wait a second, I chose this, right? I made an active decision five years ago to kind of move away from the traditional world toward this new financial system and this new technology. And, you know, I got a lot of shit for it. I got people telling me I was an idiot. I had clients telling me I was an idiot, but I felt good. And I felt, and I felt really good. And the last few months have, have kind of beaten a bunch of that out of me. And so I was like, wait a minute, do I want to do this? And it's, (laughs) This is this will trivialize it, but it, it's kind of like I don't know if if you're into or or talk about or heard about you know the the, the cold shower thing right and mm-hmm. why it's good for you and all this good stuff or like cold dunks. It's hard taking a cold shower in the morning is hard. Like it it requires active commitment every single time you turn that that uh, knob to cold. Um, and I was pretty good for a long time. And then I just wimped out for a few months and, and now I'm back on it, but it's still hard every single time I do it. And what I realized is it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. You know, doing easy makes soft people. Doing what's hard makes, you know, hard people and uh, strong people. So anyway, I don't, I don't want to deep dive too deep into that, but I, I, I really did think, what the hell did I get myself into? But I'm back, energized, effervescent. I am, I am super excited. You know, it made me go back. And what I mean is it made me go back to the roots of why I'm here. It's the tech and the people and the innovation. And no matter how much, they, how much, how much the incumbents resist and no matter how much they fight, we're still going to win. And that's, mm. that's the cool part. Yeah. I think, you know, to your... Kind of, kind of building on your cold shower analogy. I think one sort of framework I have is you sort of get compensated for stomaching volatility. You get that happens to you in markets and it happens to you sort of in life, right? And if if it was you know if it was really easy to to do the hard thing, then everyone would everyone would do that. And the more volatile something is, the more it trends up. But it's like it can be really painful to get there. And if you if you survive multiple cycles in crypto, you know it can be. Man, people talk pleasantly about volatility on the way up but man the shoe the other shoe always drops and it is not as fun on on the other side nope. but it's been it's been a big week uh in macro and we've got we've got a bunch of charts for you here so i'm gonna do the thing that always makes well, me again, worry since i am an omg an old macro guy let's let's definitely focus macro today because I, I i'm actually pretty jazzed up about macro i mean oh, okay. I, I think it is a it's a great time to be alive if you're a macro person I agree with you on that. So we had the, you know, the big story this week was we had CPI come in. Basically, it came in right about at expectation, which I think the headline is that the market is interpreting that in a pretty positive way. So we're looking at right now headline year over year and core year over year. So headline came in right in at expectations at 6.5%. Core is 5.7%. Wait, wait thought, go, back to, uh, go back to that chart. This yeah. is the famous, for those who are watching on video, this is the famous mm. puking brontosaurus pattern. So you see the tail, you see the two feet, you see the long neck, and you see the puke. This is the puking brontosaurus pattern. That's a very famous chart pattern. And, is that actually a famous uh, chart pattern? Puking brontosaurus. I, I can't tell if you're. Is it? 
Is that a real? No, I'm, I, I made it up. I, I made it up. It's famous <laughs> because I made it up and I made it up a number of years ago about a bunch of different stuff. But, but this, and the thing about the puking brontosaurus pattern, the puke gravity works. The puke goes to the floor. This mm. is going to the floor. CPI is going to the floor. It's, it's going down and there is no way to stop it. And so the whole inflation is transitory was true. Yeah. <laughs> it was just 16 months, not six. Yeah. And honestly, that's, it's, it's helpful to kind of look at. So here, if, if you're following along via video, we're looking at, this is month over month, not year over year, but it's broken out by categories. So we're looking at contri uh, contributions to headline and contributions to core. So you can really see what's driving that, uh, that CPI number. And really, I think the big story, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this in more detail, but energy is the determining factor here just in terms of the month over month change right so you can kind of see on that on that chart on the left the, the pink bar that's really what's what's dragging the number down and what's sort of supporting that number is services excluding food and energy so those are the two sort of countervailing forces that are sort of balancing each other out yeah but back, overall, and back to you know you said effervescent and and I said polydent but you know another throwback uh, is Pepto-Bismol. So again, most people have no idea what I'm mm. talking about, but it's this pink stuff you drank that it, if you had an upset stomach and, you know, volatility will make your stomach upset. So you may need some Pepto, but the pink, uh, the vol of energy, it, and we talked about this for months and months and months and months, right? When the number was going up, when the CPI was yeah. going up and everybody's freaking out, I was like, guys, all of it, well, 75% of it is oil and used cars. And it's not going to happen, I, I said, right, that oil is going to go from negative price back to positive price, right? That was an mm. event caused by lockdowns, right? Negative oil prices are not supposed to happen. And then, you know, we went from 40 bucks to 120 bucks and everybody's like, oh my gosh, there's so much inflation. No, it's pretty, pretty flat over the, over the two years, but you had this, you know, ill-advised drop and policy decision, you know. And it's just like freaking, I don't even use his name. The the guy in the White House, I don't even like that, saying, mm. I've created more jobs than anybody. No, you haven't. The jobs were, were decreated by policy and then they came back. Those aren't new jobs. Those are just people going back to work that you locked in their apartments, not him. But um, so the same thing's true here is that increase that we saw in oil prices wasn't real. It was, it was the result of the policies. Now, here's the thing. I am a total deflationist, right? Mm -hmm. I think we are headed for serious deflation for the next decade. Too many 65 to 85 year olds get perilously close to that age um, as I hit the big 60 this year. Uh, but yeah, big one. It's a big, yeah. You're gonna have to come down and, and party. Yeah, I, I will, yeah. But uh, here's the thing, I, I'm, I'm definitely a deep, but here's the thing. Um, I don't know if, if you've heard of or know Pierre Onderond, uh, no. famous oil trader, maybe the, you know, one of the best, I won't call him the best, but he's one of the best oil traders on the planet. Um, over in London, he's a French guy. Uh, and it'll mean that with any derision. I mean, he, he is like from French polytech school. I mean, he's just, he's a genius guy yeah. from France. Um, and... And Pierre uh, has a really interesting argument that because of the reaction to the lockdowns and the evaporation of capital for the energy space because of ESG nonsense, uh, we have a massive supply problem. And as demand comes back, and he's been showing all these charts of, you know, aviation fuel and auto fuel and, and you know, it's all coming back to pre-COVID levels. He says, as that comes back, there's not the spare capacity that we used to have in OPEC. And, and he put up a, an analog and these aren't always right, but he says, this is very similar to 2004 to 2008 when we had a similar kind of problem when all the banks were, were going under because of subprime and you couldn't finance uh, exploration and production. And remember, every year, this is crazy, every year we have to find roughly the, the amount of oil 
that that exists in Saudi Arabia in order just to keep the, the treadmill going. And that didn't happen. <coughs> that didn't happen, right? And so in 2007, oil prices tripled. And if you look at the chart from 2004 to six and overlay 2020 to 2022, it's perfect. I mean, perfect. And we're right at the trough where it's about to triple. Now, I'm not saying he's right, but if that happens, CPI will, will go right back up. That's a, long, that's a long answer to, while I favored the deflation story, we're not out of the woods on inflation. I agree with you. I we I had um, I did a long interview with Michael Cow, if you know him, Urban Cowboy on Twitter yesterday, who um, among other things sort of shared his thoughts on on uh, inflation and the link between inflation and and oil and his his sort of you know I everyone should should go and listen to this this interview, but basically the link being you know we we were short energy globally right, and that was one of the initial sparks of inflation. And then that kind of leapt over into stickier components, which is what, which is literally what we're seeing right now in terms of, you know, rent and, and shelter and all that kind of stuff. But that's the, that's, that's the rub that I want to get to you because I, I hear you on the oil story. I personally, it's, it's, it's hard. It's outside of my area of expertise. I could, I could certainly see it going that way, but it's definitely, it's something to pay attention to because it's an input cost for, for so much. But if, if you look over at this, this chart on the right here, gas, gas, gasoline is what's dragging things down right now. And you can see on what's uh, sort of buoying things up, right, and positively contributing to the CPI number. Really, shelter is is uh, what's what's still uh, driving yeah. that, that month-to-month number. And, and the two things on that, Michael, the gasoline story is manipulation, right? Mm -hmm. That was simply trying to buy votes for the election by releasing mm -hmm. oil from the SPR. Now, the problem is, at some point, you're going to have to refill the SPR. Yeah. Right. You just are. And that's going to increase demand in the short run. And that's going to put upward pressure on prices. And so the whole thing is you're supposed to buy for the SPR when prices are low. You're supposed to sell when, when prices are high. And yeah. so, but they didn't do that, right? They, they waited for the price to fall from like 120 down to, to 90. Then they started selling right before the election to push gasoline prices down. Because look, there's a perfect inverse correlation between price of gasoline and presidential popularity. I mean, yeah. it's perfect. If oil prices are, I mean, gas prices are a buck, people love the president. Doesn't matter which party, they love him. I say him, I guess it could be her, uh, them. They love them. Uh, if prices are four bucks, they hate them. Right, whoever they are, doesn't matter. Party, you know, they, they hate them. So that was clearly a manipulation. And yeah. that is gone because they're going to have to refill the SPR. Now, here's the problem. If we're trying to fill the SPR and China's filling their SPR, now they're actually really good at it. They, they bottom tick all the time. They fill up their SPR, then they drain it when the price are. They're actually really good at it. But here's the thing. China's going to reopen. You know, we have a team in China on the ground and we talk to them every Monday morning and things are changing like really fast. And the, the amount of demand, the amount of incremental demand that could come from China this year is staggering. So all of that could play into a really serious demand shock without the ability to, to change supply. And, and then the shelter piece... Um, Rents are coming down, right? There is, <laughs> I live down here in Chapel Hill. I mean, rents of everything are starting to roll over hard. Right. I mean, office space, empty, empty. Mm. I mean, they just put up a new building and uh, I made a bet with somebody. I said, that thing is going to remain empty for a year. And yep. then a month later, like the whole third floor was built out. I'm like, oh shit, somebody moved in. And I looked and it's called Industrious. Like oh look it must that must be a, oh. a game studio like a spin out of uh, of Epic no it's like a it's like a we like a WeWork and there's no one in it so yes somebody is paying rent but that's going to go away pretty soon because there's literally no one in it um, and and apartment rents there's so many apartments being built here in Chapel Hill and it's a nice place to live but no chance those apartments get filled up.
So a hundred percent agree with you. I think this, this chart or these, these three sort of statistics are sort of interesting and worth paying attention to. So there's the US CPI month over month shelter contribution, right? That's this owner's equivalent went, which is sort of a lagging, a lagging indicator, which is weird if you had to like rent your apartment from yourself. This is on, on the, on the right. What you're looking at is the Zillow rent index year over year uh, in terms of percent chains. That's it's, you know, it's not official data. It's just, it's a more real time measure of what rents are doing. And that, you know, has completely, completely reverted, right? If you're not following along via video, you know, it's, it's completely uh, going to the floor. Well, and, so, it's, and it's not only gone back to where it was, it's gone through the lows during the lockdown. So just right. let that sink in for a second. I mean, right. that's real, real. Right. So that's, to, you know, to your point, I think that's going to be a drag on CPI in the, in the, in the coming months. What's, what's interesting to pay attention, we know the Fed is paying a lot of attention right now to the services component of CPI, X, food, energy, and shelter. And the reason why that is, is because that's basically a measure of wage gains, which we know they're paying a lot of attention to the labor market right now. Just as a visualization, this was in the Wall Street Journal. I thought this was actually a pretty interesting chart. Uh, this is core services, core CPI, and core goods. So it's a it's a pretty interesting, like basically you're seeing core CPI, it like peaked and now it's kind of, it's like basically going sideways slash like trending down. But underneath, you can sort of see that goods is actually collapsing and services is zooming zooming up, right? So core services here include shelter, but really what the Fed is paying a lot of attention to is core services X shelter. It's just it's just something that's worth paying attention. I'll, I'll remind listeners as well, the reason why I think it makes sense to focus on cores, we know that that's the measure that the Fed pays a lot of attention to. So whether or not you have your own preconceived uh, sort of ideas about whether or not core is the right thing that the Fed should be paying attention to, we know that that's what the Fed does take a look at. And so that's what's yep. going to impact what happens with interest rates and ultimately markets. This, you know, so if, if we're zooming in on that, that, that other item here, which is uh, services, X food, shelter, energy, so core X, X shelter, that's actually down. It's 4.4% uh, year over year, but it's fallen 0.1% month over month for three months in a row. So that is trending in the right direction. And, you know, consummate to that, what we're looking at in these two charts is the, you know, CPI basically, which is trending up, but average hourly earnings of productions and non-supervisory employees is actually trending lower. So we're starting to see, you know, decreases basically in, in wage gains. Interestingly, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a question for you. We talked, I think on one of the last couple roundups about who, which income bracket does well in, in, uh, you know, sort of who, who retains their yeah. earnings yeah, yeah, who best in, in an inflationary environment. So I came across this chart, actually, when I was just doing research for this episode. So this is real wage growth by quartile, you know, 12-month average. And they looked at the period of 2017 to 2019, and then 2019 to 2022, right? So like a relatively normal period of time, and then during this period of, of inflation. What they've actually found is that the, the lower, the two bottom quartiles, basically, like the lowest and second lower quartile, they experienced wage, real wage gains, you know, whereas the top two uh, income, you know, third quartile and highest quartile experienced, you know, basically decreases, uh, yeah. you know, in, in, in real terms. So again, just like an interesting. Well, it's because you know, of price fixing, right? It's because mm -hmm. when, when inflation starts to rise, the pressure on politicians to do something becomes so great and you get all these mandated increases at the bottom at the minimum wage. And, and those, those are catch up, right? The minimum wage doesn't go up every month like CPI, it's mm. stair steps, right? After years of, of buildup. So, um, and, it, and it tends to correlate to the time when the, when the pressure on, on politicians is the greatest, which is when people can't, can't buy stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, the cost of things, right, is extraordinary. And, mm. I, you know, and I've talked about this before. It's, it's like that commercial that I talk about where you, know, you got this guy and he's got the boat, and he's got the car and he's cooking on the barbecue. He's got all his friends around there having this party. And they're like, how do you afford this? It's like, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Yeah, right? seriously. And that's, that's where we are. And I, I, I know you, you have the chart because we, we talked about it. Pre-show, but I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, the savings rate has been eviscerated. I mean, 
eviscerated. Mm. It is plumbing new all-time lows. Mm. And that's disturbing. But then the flip side is, well, okay, what else is happening? Um, Well, credit, consumer credit. So if you don't have savings and you're borrowing on your credit cards, that's not a durable strategy. No. No, it's not. I think that, so there are three charts here for those of you who are following along via video. We're looking at total consumer credit on the left, which you can see is now above pre-COVID levels. There's been a perfect basically like U-shape where it dipped way below during 2020. And now it's been, you know, re-accelerating to the point where it's above the pre-COVID trend. There's household excess savings, right? Which is the buffer that households typically build up when there's a fear of recession. And that has, you know, gone, it's just perfect like hump, you know, it's like a camel hump. I'm trying for my own analogies here, Mark. <laughs> it's, it's completely, completely down to camel hump. Trend, trending per, below. Camel hump is right. You save up the fat for when yeah. you know you're not going to find the water or food. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. All right, that's the worst analogy. So basically, when you take those two charts together, you see that people are you know depleting savings while at the same time increasing their credit. And then on the right, the 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 last chart here is the commercial bank interest on credit rate plans, and that is like a parabolic chart upwards. So our banks understanding this dynamic have decided to charge more on credit cards than they have uh you know at least going back to 1996 right well, like no, the previous and you know what's what's funny about that not funny no, it's tragic not funny it's not funny um you know i went to business school at university of chicago and university of chicago is not in a really nice neighborhood i mean it's been gentrified in the last 30 years but it, when i went there in the 80s it, it was not it was dangerous like literally mm. dangerous and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, why is it dangerous? Well, it's dangerous because the demographic was bad in terms of, of income, per capita income. I'm like, oh, okay. So at least one benefit will be I'll get cheaper prices, right? Cheaper food prices, cheaper stuff, because if people can't afford it, you know, companies will have to lower their prices. Uh-uh, that's not the way it works. The prices were 20 to 30% higher at the local grocery store than if I drove 20 minutes to the suburbs. I hate hearing that. I'm like, no, that can't be. And they're like, well, those people can't drive. They have to take a bus because they don't have a car. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So, and I was young and naive and I didn't understand economics. Like, that's the way it works. So, exactly the time that someone needs your help you're actually doing the opposite. And, and what's, what's really crazy, I mean, you don't have the chart, but, but the one that makes me seethe, like super seethe, is overdraft charges. Yeah, those suck. Overdraft charges. And, yeah. and, and what, what has come out is like the banks will actually manipulate how the, 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 the deposits and the withdrawals come in to maximize the overdraft. So like if you put a deposit in, but you had two checks, they'll, they'll charge the checks first, then make the deposit. So you're overdrafted. Yeah. Like what? So that is a very disturbing chart on the right there that I agree. You know, jacking up interest rates on the most vulnerable populations. What's going on, guys? Want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Curve. They are the one-stop shop credit cards that helps you take control your personal finances. Here's the reason I personally love this company. These guys are all about helping you manage and maximize your personal cash flow. We have been talking for the last couple months about everything that the Fed is doing with raising interest rates. Obviously, this is not, no one's got a crystal ball. This is not financial advice, but I think it makes sense more than ever now for companies to be managing their cash flow and for you as an individual to be managing your personal cash flow as well. Curve makes it super, super easy to do that. Even I can do it as a technological Philistine. They aggregate all of your spending information in one place. They make it super easy to plan. But they actually go one step further than that. They have a very cool feature called Go Back in Time, which allows you to switch payments from one card to another. So if you have an unexpected expense crop up, boom, you can move that over to your credit card, free up some cash. Or maybe you learned too late that you could have earned more rewards by spending on a different card. Boom, Curve has you covered there too. And the last thing that I'll say is, if you click the link at the bottom of this episode, you'll get $20 in Curve Cash, but you'll only get that if you click the vanity link at the bottom of this episode. 
plus that gives me the credit as well. So thank you, Curve. I appreciate you caring about cash flow. Guys, click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell my center. So here, here's the other reason why I think it's disturbing. And this, we, we sort of skipped ahead to the end of this narrative thesis, right? There's, a, there's also part of, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the current state of the labor force, but you're still very tight, right? So unemployment is still at historic lows, right? Going back to basically middle of the 1970s, right? This is the lowest it's, the lowest it's been. And part, part of the reason for that is the, the labor force participation rate, which is still, you know, hasn't recovered to, to pre-COVID levels. A bunch of people basically went out of the workforce in COVID and, and said, never you know what? will. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I have no interest in writing that. That's part of what's driving wage gains. But, but ultimately, I think a lot of people were surprised last year when, I know it was a bad year, right? For, it was a historically bad year for bonds, bad year for stocks, but not an absolutely horrendous year for yeah. stocks overall. You know, S&P fell, I think, less than 20% in 2022. So bad year, but not – and a lot of people have been like, well, where's the other foot, right? Because this is one of the fastest, you know, most aggressive tightening cycles that the Fed has ever gone through. And there are all these calls, the economy's going to break. And it, it didn't really. It's actually been pretty robust. And I think part of it has to do with – the, the consumer is still holding on. You know, I don't know. You probably had this experience, Mark, of, of trying to like people really extrapolate the next two years based on the last two years. And it's really hard to like change people's minds, even in a business environment that, hey, what yep. you experienced over the last two years might not be. And it takes a lot of time and you need to kind of repeat it. The Fed's job right now, they are trying to turn a barge, you know, like this enormous barge and reset all of the expectations that they've put in people's heads, like for, for not just the last two years, which was the most extreme, you know, yeah. you know, transfer payments and super easy monetary policy and trillions of dollars injected into the economy. They need to reset the last like 40 years of deflation and, and monetary accommodation and the Fed put sort of era and markets. I, I still don't think they're there. You know, like if you look at what happened? So the two-year bond fell, right? Basically, on the jobs report and the CPI report, the market, you know, the Fed funds futures curve is basically saying that we don't believe that the terminal rate is going to get to five percent, and the stock market, you know, responded positively to this to this CPI report. So, I just i I think the consumer basically still doesn't believe the new reality, right? They're they're depleting their savings and they're borrowing on their credit card, which tells me that. They think things are going to get better. The market doesn't believe yeah. the Fed. Like, I, I basically think that reality still hasn't set in for for a lot of people. That's my, that's my. That when I'm looking at all this data, this is my synthesis. But yeah. am I being too pessimistic, or, or, or what do you what do you think? No, about no, no. I, I think you're spot on. And look, and and you use my my favorite word, right? I, you know, the most important skill, I believe that there is. Uh, in 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 the modern world is synthesis. Mm. You know, in the in the olden days, it used to be about discovery and access. Right? Could you could you discover information better, faster than others? Could you get access to information better, faster than others? Now we're drowning in information. There's just way too much, and some of it's fake, and some of it's bad, and and so the ability to synthesize and tease out what's important, and 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 actually more importantly to to know what to ignore, right? I, I think that's a superpower. To know what to ignore and to spend no time on is an absolute superpower. So I, I think the, the, your synthesis is, is, is right on. Um, and I think part of it is the recession that I think we had, and I think it, mm -hmm. it may be over-ish, Mm. Um, and maybe we have a double dip like 81, 83, that that's certainly, certainly possible. Um, but the, you know, the recession we had last year, that was real, right? And he, 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 oh, it wasn't a recession, you know, two back-to-back -back quarters isn't a recession. Well, no, it, it is. And you just didn't call it because of this manipulated, uh, employment number where, you know, you take all these people out of the workforce and say, oh, look, we have low unemployment. No, you don't. You just. There, people are still working. Have you been to a Walmart? There are a lot of people over 65 working a lot. I mean, I actually, when I, I went, I went on this ski uh, trip, um, the entire boot fitting and group was not the young uh, skier bros. 
right? You know, with the hat on sideways and the, hey, dude, it was retirees. The entire thing was retirees. It's like, that's actually pretty good. These guys are really good, experienced skiers. I can talk to them. So that was, but it was interesting. That was the first time I had seen that. That was very different. And um, now there was the, the occasional person who spoke no English that, you know, they had to import because they, they want cheap labor. But um, my, my point there was the, I lost my, my train of thought. Mark, I'm I'm still I'm still chuckling at your impression of a youth as someone who has their hat on sideways. That's like no no no, no. the skier bros, right? Not not all youth. I hear you. I mean, literally, these guys they have their it's because it's it's a it's a caricature, right? Everyone I've ever every boot fitter I've gone to for the last you know ten years has been the same guy, and maybe they all didn't have the hat on sideways, but but they all had the hat and the hair and the dude. It was it was quite extraordinary, um, yeah. but my, you know my sister's ski patrol at, at Big Sky. Well, Montana. ski patrol's different. It ski is, patrol- but I but it's that whole like she worked. It's that whole. You know what? It's a it's a honestly skier subculture is probably one of the better, more positive groups of people or subcultures that you could possibly sort of like associate yourself with. It is it is awesome. Yes. It is awesome, and, and, and they help much. each other, and they. Because it's, it's, they all want the lifestyle mm. and, and it's not a lifestyle that pays a lot, um, but you can make it work as a community. I, it's back to communities, right? What's the most important thing right now? Communities, um, particularly in the world of, of digital. But, but I think that's, that's a very good point. But, but yeah, Ski Patrol, talk about a revered position. You, know, you have oh, to yeah. one be a great skier. Two, yeah. you know, you gotta prove that you're a great skier, and then three, you gotta, you know, actually pay attention to your job as opposed to just ski. Um, so I think a lot of people get the job and then they get asked to to leave because um, it's not about skiing; it's about protecting people. Um, so, but but my my point there really is, um, if you think about this where we are. It was an 01-like recession, right? 01, if you ask the average person who lived through 01, other than the 9-11 shock, it didn't feel like a recession. Yet we were in a beginnings of a really bad bear market in the stock market. To your point, the second shoe hadn't fallen until until 2002. And I will argue that's kind of, we're probably halfway through that. To me, 2022 or 2020 TOO, as I like to call it, um, was very similar to 2002. And I think it may extend into this year because if you go back to 2002, first quarter, kind of January, February, uh, there was hope. There was this, you know, 2001 had started down and then they had the Santa Claus rally and there was this hope coming into the new year that the Fed was going to save us. And then Enron and WorldCom and, and, and all the frauds broke and boom, we were down 20 something percent for that year. In fact, like I said, worse than, than last year. And so I think we're having the same thing. Like what's happening the last two weeks in the stock market? Insane, insane. Mm-hmm. And, but, but I, I, we, I think I talked about it on, on this show. Maybe I didn't. I may have talked about somebody else, but the January effect is back. In the olden days, the January effect existed because people had to do tax loss selling before December 31st. So sometime in December, they would sell their crappy stuff that went down to take the tax loss. You had to wait 30 days and then all that stuff would rip in January and you had this thing called the January effect. And, and most of the excess returns of the market came from this January effect. And it went away. Well, why did it go away? Well, it didn't go away. It just got moved to November because they changed the rule for mutual funds that their year end huh. isn't 1231. It's October 31st. So everyone started selling in October and then buying back in November. So if you look at November, there's always this little blip of the crappiest companies. And it happened again this year. But this year, the losses were so bad, like Peloton down 95 and, and all the, you know, Zoom down 95. All, I mean, they're bad that the average human 
not in a mutual fund that's speculating in this stuff that bought GameStop and went down 80% and bought AMC. They actually sold and took the tax loss, but they're still believers. So they bought it back. I mean, Peloton's up like a hundred percent and, and GameStop and, I mean, the, the gambling instinct, mostly young males, but, but of, of investors is crazy. And I, I know it ends badly for that group, yeah. but I think it also ends badly for the people who think this is a broad-based recovery quickly and that the Fed is going to pivot and start cutting rates. I, I just don't. I don't think so. I weirdly think, I think the stock market response to the CPI print, that was, it was a bullish response. And I think that's bearish because I think- Powell has been extremely clear, right? I know there's some amount of jawboning and forward guidance. That's a that's a policy tool, the Fed, but but he's been very clear that he does not want to see GameStop going. He's not want to see AMC a return of AMC. Right? He doesn't. Well, and I think I think you're seeing it in the follow through this morning. Now, people are listening to this on on Saturday, right. but you know it's Friday the 13th today, and and oh, wow. the market is is going down, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going down hard because I, I think to your point, I think some of the talking heads said, hey guys, time out. 6.5 is still not where we want it. And the employment, and again, this is the part that that bugs me. They're saying the employment's not where we want it. No, no. Let's actually look at the real numbers, not the birth death stuff, and but but fine. So they're gonna toe the line. And I, you know, there's this whole question about well, what are they trying to do? Right? Are they trying to destroy the economy? Are they trying to break things? Anybody says, well, they're going to raise until they break something. Well, no, what I, what, I, what I believe they're doing is I believe they're trying to correct the greatest policy error of all time, which was the creation of excess liquidity in response to lockdown. Okay? I believe that was the greatest policy error of all time, to create half of the dollars that have ever existed in our you know, history, 246 years in 18 months, I think that was a huge policy error. So for the first time in, in decades, money supply is now contracting, but it needs to contract a fur piece in order to get back to even close to trend line growth, yeah. which has been you know, close to double digits for you know, 13 years. In the in the you know post GFC era, but I think there's something more sinister, right? We have to get to sinister Saturday. Um, uh, there's something we more some sunrise. We had some sunrise Saturdays going there. I know for we a have been while. sunrise Saturday. We've been and sunshine and and but I got to throw sinister in every now and then. But there, I think there's a little something sinister, which is and you saw it with your bank chart. Banks are not not for profits. And they had a long period of time where they didn't make any profits because of, again, bad policy decisions and, and, and bad economics, but, but mostly self-inflicted wounds, right? Toxic subprime, CDOs, CDO squared, mostly self-inflicted wounds. And part of the problem is they didn't clear out any of the bad actors. They just let them keep going and they bailed them out, which is you know why we have Bitcoin with a whole nother story for another day. But... If you think about why did we have emergency rates for so long? Why did we have zero interest rates for so long? To recapitalize the banks. Full stop, right? If you can borrow from the Fed at zero and buy treasuries at two and lever it 10 times, that is a riskless 20%, not quite 20, yeah, about 20% IRR. That's a really good thing. You can recapitalize your banking system. Well, once the banking system is recapitalized, right? The banksters got to eat. Well, how do they eat? They earn a spread between what they borrow at and what they lend at. So if you get back to a normalized interest rate so that we can have a functioning capitalistic society, because remember, without positive interest rates, capitalism doesn't work, right? Why would you lend somebody money without any return? Yeah. Lunacy. And so, and so here's the thing. If you're increasing the rate back to where it should be, right? For, for 140 years, 
the short-term interest rate equaled nominal inflation, right? Averaged about 4%. Inflation averaged about 4% nominal, 2% real. And interest rates, short-term interest rates averaged 4%. Well, when nominal GDP growth was, you know, call it three, and interest rates were zero, that's a big gap, right? That's back to the whole, you know, there's the Taylor rule and all this other stuff saying, look, interest rates need to be higher, but they didn't want to raise them. Well, when when nominal GDP got to, what, six, seven, where we had, you know, right, what they're saying for fourth quarter, you know, you got, you got uh, 3% GDP deflator and 4% uh, growth, 7% nominal GDP, you need 7% interest rates to be neutral. So I don't think they're going to get there, but they got work to be done. Either you got to get that GDP deflator down or growth has got to slow, which seems weird. But but the problem is, again, I think they're looking at bad data. The same way Volcker made a mistake over tightening because he was double counting uh, home price increases. So he had a mortgage component to CPI and a home price component. So it was double counting the effect of ratcheting up rates. So he oh. would triumphantly raise rates and, and then the thing would go, it's like, wait, still. And they got all the way to 20%. Think about short-term rates of 20%. Yeah. Think about how did people survive that? How did builders build? But they did. They figured it out. Um, all about spreads. But now I think we're double counting GDP in Q3 and Q4 because we released all the SPR. The SPR did not create GDP. I'm sorry. It just didn't. That is a broken window fallacy. You cannot take stuff that you already bought once and release it and sell it and call that new GDP. You can't do it. You already counted it once. So, but they do. And it's just like when a hurricane hits, it's illogical to me that you don't count the destruction and then you count the rebuilding. That makes no sense. So I, I think we are at a really interesting juncture where they're not going to back down and therefore the market's going to be wrong in its collective assumption that, you know, good times are coming. And yeah, I, I look, these, these, these companies, even though they're down a lot, are still overvalued relative yeah. to their earning power. Yeah. And that's, I, that's what, it, and it's what it all boils down to. We haven't seen earnings. We haven't seen earnings get priced into the market at all. And I, you know, I could just be totally wrong, but I mean, it just, it, it would be very, very surprised to be a huge outlier, right? If earnings held up in the face of everything that's going on. And one, you know, just in terms of sentiment, you know, usually what it feels like at, at bottoms, people are anticipating that it's going to go on forever. You know, people just, it's, it was yeah. bad last year. It was bad the year before. It's probably going to be bad next year and even worse the year after that. Right now, people are all, you know what? I bet it'll probably be bad for a couple, four more months. I, yeah, I bet three, yeah. three, four more months. Next, you know, we see about one or two bad quarters and then it turns around. That to me just doesn't resonate as bottom feeling. So there's too much overhang. And this, this, uh, that was that, that's this analogy of like the Fed trying to turn the barge. It's trying to turn the barge of sentiment. And it's one that they created, you know, for the last, certainly the last two to three years, but, but even yeah. going back, back before yeah. that. You know what's, you know what else is, uh, you know, you're kind of talking about this this recession that happened last year. You know who felt that recession more than anyone else is crypto and, and tech, basically. It's been a crypto tech recession. The rest of the economy is actually doing not so bad. And it speaks to, you know, you have these like very old school. There's a guy, uh, Bob, shoot, I'm blanking on his last name, but he, he mutual funds, unlimited. Uh, Bob E. Unlimited is, the, he, is, his, is his handle on Twitter. He came on the show uh, a couple, a couple, a couple months ago, and he was pointing out basically that we're about to see a very traditional sort of macro cycle in terms of hiking rates. But if you went back to your economics, you know, economics one hundred and one, you raise rates. You know, the it's more expensive, right? Companies aren't aren't going to fund new projects on the margin. That's going to turn things around. Blah blah blah. That's how a traditional macro cycle works. But now, because the Fed has adopted this weird wealth effect policy, right? Since they realized this correlation between the price of stocks and homes and, and consumer spending, 
they've adopted this weird other policy channel where they've inflated financial assets. And yeah. that is what has responded first. And, you know, I have more friends who work in tech than who work in construction or white goods sure. or, you know, automotive or whatever. But people in tech are getting their ass handed to them. You know, it is a it is not a great time to be working in tech. I know your son. Oh, my at, gosh. At, at hey, look, stock-based compensation plans, if your stock's down 50, 60, 70%, those yeah. options aren't worth as much. Um, you know, the stock that you had, that you already exercised, that's down. So you're feeling, you're feeling impinged. Um, totally, totally agree. And, and again, that's why it's, it's so similar to 0102 in that that was all a tech bubble. And when the tech bubble crashed, uh, everybody else was was okay ish until until nine eleven. Then then the travel industry and stuff got clamped down because no one was going to fly again. Um, I, I remember being in New York. This was amazing. I, I I came to New York. I think it was maybe two weeks later. The, the planes got back in the air, and I had to come to New York to to see my chairman. And I and I remember getting in in the cab and. Uh, I asked the guy, you know, so, so how bad is it? He's like, 99%. Like my business is off 99%. Like, Ooh, that, that's bad. I mean, bad, bad. So there was a, a point at which, you know, things got really ugly. And, and then, then obviously it came back, right? You try to get a car in New York City now and it costs you $100 to go to the airport. So um, plenty of demand. But um, I think the the issue is, and it goes back to my existential crisis. I remember the feeling in 2002, Amazon down 90 something percent, you know, a bunch of companies gone to zero, my board freaking out. I mean, hair on fire, screaming that we were idiots for doing all this venture capital and, <laughs> and all this tech stuff. And you, you young guys, you just don't know. But I remember, because it, it, it was real, <laughs> it was my job. Um, I remember going, no, this is, this is real, right? Yeah, this, yeah. This, this internet thing is real. This, this improvement in, in life is real. This, and, and, I didn't even, and I wasn't even a true believer. I've, I've told the story, I think, on here before, where you know, Google came public. And I get these numbers right, but it came public at 100 and it fell to 50. And this friend of mine who was a value manager, and that number's, it might be 50, it went to 25, I don't, I don't but call it 100, it went to 50. And this value manager friend of mine was like, oh, this company's going down, it's a short. And I'm like, why? He says, oh, they don't make any money and this and that. And oh, he was a value guy. And I went out to California and I, and I met this, this friend of mine who now runs a hedge fund, but at the time he works for a private equity firm. And he said, Google's worth a thousand dollars. I'm like, what? I'm like what? He says, this is the greatest company in the world. They have totally reinvented the search industry. I'm like, Glenn, you're an idiot. <laughs> no, he was not an idiot. He was right. And and it took me a while to, to figure it out and, and I didn't buy it, but because um, I'm a value guy. Uh, but, but the ability to see that future in times of darkness and crisis, that's a superpower. Glenn had a superpower, has a superpower. He still does. And, and those who, it's like my pinned tweet, if you can invest in something you believe in before others understand it and take the mocking and the ridicule and the exclusion, you win. And so anyway. I, yeah, I, I, you're talking to a guy who started a, a crypto <laughs> conferences company, you know, like exactly. you know how many people yeah, thought that was a particularly good idea? Media. Yeah, tech media company <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in, in the darkness of yeah. the winter. We, I mean, we started it in, we incorporated BlockWorks, the LLC in December of 2017, you know, one month away from the high, you know, into two years of absolute desolation. I was with you in that yeah. weird building with the tarps and it was being built out. Yeah. We're sitting on the plywood. Yeah. 
that was such a surreal experience yeah. because you're thinking about building in the future and we're going to do this. And, and the rest of the world's like, it's over. I mean, it's I over. I know. And, you know, Bitcoin, it was, you know, just recovered from the 3,200 low to maybe 35. And, uh, oh yeah, God, I remember that like it was yesterday. Wow. I know. Me too. And, I, you know, and then it was very uncool for those two years. In the last two years, Blockworks has been very cool. And now, and now, now it's back in the uncool phase and friends are like, ooh, how's that crypto stuff doing? It's like, you yeah, know, are you, you just have okay? to laugh. Yeah, you're doing okay. okay. I, oh, I, I had I had the pity look the other day from uh, you know I won't say who, but I was like I don't no no yeah don't 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 give me pity. Beat me up, right? Scream at yeah. me, swear at me, tell me you're mad, right? Don't give me the pity. Yeah. This is not about pity. This is about uh, look. It's about cycles. Yeah. Cycles happen, and they happen in every industry. Um, you know, I would not want to be in the auto industry in, in my, in my, in my, in theory, right. I would think it'd be hard to be in the auto industry right now. You can't get part, you know, you can't get supplies, you can't get cars. My friend who owns an auto business never been better. Really? He says, what? He says, oh my God, we are making so much margin because we can charge whatever we want. I'm like, mind blown. Right. So yes, his volumes are way down, but it makes he makes it up on on margin. And yeah. you know, it's the opposite of the old Bezos quote. Yeah, we lose money on every trade, but we make it up on volume. No, that that doesn't work. Um, and I feel like and a so, lot of people ingested that and learned the long the wrong lesson. From that quote, oh you know? my gosh. Absolutely. Don't you think that's a do you, do you know there's a really funny, you know OKRs that that sort of framework from yeah. Uh, there's a really funny quote I saw, like a tweet that OKRs were a psyop from Google. And the idea being that you know John Doerr like really loved it, and the Google guys they're 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 huge OKR. But if you've ever tried to implement OKRs, you're like, wait, does this fit here? And it's like it ends up being a. Uh, I believe in them, That's but awesome. I damn it is hard to. It's kind of just a funny that yeah. That OKRs wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Right? Would not surprise me at all. Because look. There are a lot of psyops going on, right? Mm. Not the least of which is the massive psyop against crypto right now. But, mm. um, and and that's how that's how the incumbents win, right? They make you yeah. doubt yourself, and There's a... it's Sorry. it's hard to stay positive. It's hard it's hard to stay effervescent when when the world is is one crashing around you. When two, you're seeing real people get hurt, right? That that's the part that's really hard. Like real people have lost real money. That's what, that's what I loved about Cameron's letter to Barry. Actually, no, it was the one to the board about look, these are real people, dude. Yeah. You're you're hiding in your mansion in Rye and, and thinking this will just go away. No, these are people that need that money. Mm. Right? They 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 were saving for a bar mitzvah. They were saving for the, you know, they were just trying to earn a little bit of money on their savings. They weren't doing anything crazy. They weren't doing arbitrage. They were depositing money and we were supposed to pay them interest. Yeah. And that is a basic human need, right? That, that you amass capital and it works for you, right? Don't work for your money, have your money work for you. And the fact that these bad people committed fraud and stole Look, the bad risk management aside, but but the people who stole are the perpetrators. The other people are the victims, and and I think we're forgetting that and then trying to point fingers at everybody. But I I I look at what's happening, and look, my my little brother, actually both my little brothers, um, and my son, all have money tied up in in this mess. Be, and, and, because they trusted Big Brother, right? Or Dad. Hey, you said this was a good company. Like, it is a good company. Is. Not was, is. They had money stolen from them. I didn't predict that. Did 
did not predict it, did not see it, didn't call it, not going to do the Monday morning, you know, the revisionist history and say, oh yeah, I, I called that. Yeah. Bullshit. And it's, it, look, it's a tough, it's a tough go. I think it's one of, it's one of the last thorny, you know, Gordian knots that we're trying to unravel in, in crypto today. I mean, Whoa, the <laughs> Gordian knot, love. Yeah. It's love. tough. Genesis is no other way to describe Genesis other than it just sits at the heart of so much trouble. You know, it's it's also, you know, just looking at, I, I'm not an insider for the situation. I have, I have no special insight. It's just, I will remember this because I thought DCG looked unimpregnable to me from the outside. It just, you know, because I was looking at it just being like, man, this guy, he really got it because he created the stable of like cash flowing infrastructure, yes. picks and shovels type businesses. And he's used that to fund this venture portfolio. That's a great venture portfolio and is probably going to do super well. It was just like, how could you? And you know what? It just, it was one piece of oversight, which was that prime brokerage is tough. And if you don't know who you're lending to, then that can bite you. And those those things that you yeah. are counting as assets, your loan book, that can turn into a liability very quickly. It, it, you know, you-, you Leverage you, kills. Yeah, it does. Doesn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't always. And and look, I, I this this you know I stole this from Howard Marks, and now I've made it my own. Leverage can never make a bad investment good, not ever, but it can, and unfortunately, often does make a good investment bad because you're forced to sell at the wrong time. And and leverage is certainly part of it, and and definitely a, a big part of it. But the but the part here, fraud and theft is different, right? If I lend you money and you go to Vegas and blow it, you stole from me, right? You're supposed to pay me back. You know, you're supposed to take that money and do something with it and, and pay me back. But if, if worse, I'm the guy that you lent money to and or I'm, you, you invested money in and then I take your money and go to Vegas and blow it. I'm mm. I'm an evil person. You, yeah. you you if you go to Vegas and blow the money and you can't pay me back, maybe that's stupid. But if I take your money that you entrusted to me, I'm an evil person. And that's what happened here. Evil. So, pure evil. So two two quick things. I first of all, as a media organization, we have to say legend, right? Like nothing's been nothing's been proven yet. But the uh, the the initial yeah, okay, true. The the, true. the initial legend. So, legend. So and look, this this all. So there's an SEC complaint now. This is coming out. You know, this just got announced yesterday. So there's a lot of there's a lot of details that haven't been haven't been announced. But here's a snippet that feels pretty damning. So by the way, guys, we didn't really preface this, but basically for those of you who haven't been following, Gemini Earn has, you know, there's about $900 million worth of Earn that got basically given to to Genesis, which to be fair to Gemini, that was not great risk management, right? Uh, but no. Genesis basically went around and lend lended that money out. They've halted withdrawals and now they aren't able to pay back. So there's been some sparring in between the Winklevi and, and Barry Silbert. And the, the big question has been, A, how much does Genesis owe in general? Is there some sort of restructuring that can happen? And then B, can can Gemini earn owners get paid back? And and, and then also what did Genesis what did Genesis do with the money? So yeah. here's here's the there's a there's a pretty damning snippet here. Genesis also loaned an additional five hundred and seventy-five million dollars worth of crypto assets, including those of Gemini Earn investors, to related party DCG which DCG used to fund investment opportunities and repurchase DCG stock from non-employee shareholders in secondary transactions. Yeah. So, 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 here's, so here's my big problem with this. First of all, this is why the US scrutinizes related party transactions. There's a good reason for it. Here's my, here's my second thing with it. Look at what was, look at the unbelievable duration mismatch that was happening here from a risk man. So there was 8% liability that was owed on $900 million to earn customers. What if you would think what was, what would happen is Genesis would turn around and loan that money out in something that is also relatively short duration that can theoretically pay higher than that. So they can make yep. their spread buying back DCG stock or, or investing it in venture does not fix that problem. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm, 
look, I don't have access to all the information. Maybe I'm missing something, but like no, that is no, a, you're not that missing a, anything. The, that's the a only bonkers thing, the, only, well, the only thing you're missing is, is and it's not missing, but the, the complaint is it's, it's, it's conflating something in the sense that money is fungible mm-hmm. and it, you can't actually say for sure that the dollar went from here into that because the DCG balance sheet is, is very large and has lots of different things. Right. And, and so what they're implying is that that's what happened, but it's possible that they had a, a big treasury portfolio and others. Now it actually isn't that, but, but the thing about money is it is, it is truly fungible. You know, you put it in a pot and you can do with it lots of different things an asset liability mismatch is a real problem, but you don't necessarily, as a bank, have to match every loan perfectly to the expected duration because most times, not everybody needs their money at the same time. Yeah. So some people need it daily, some people need it weekly, some people need it monthly, some people don't need it. And so you can have a, a laddered portfolio of loans, but to your point, it should be diversified. It shouldn't be to one borrower. It should be diversified across and it should be conservative, right? You yeah. should overmatch the liquid. And they didn't do that. And, yeah. and, and, and if, and again, we'll say if, although it appears clearly they did, but if capital I, capital F, they did what that snippet alleges, that's bad. That's like yeah. felonious. Yeah. By the way, this is all an unfolding situation, so I'm sure more facts are going to come out. And we're 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 acting on the you know we're talking about this on the information that's available today. And these these are our opinions of facts that have been released into the public domain. So it's mm. not insider baseball. It's yeah, this is what's been presented in the and and we're allowed to talk about it as an opinion. Yeah. It doesn't mean we know, and it doesn't mean we're def- the definitive source, but no. we can talk about it. There's a, I think, just because we're we're using Greek, uh, you know, analogies and concepts. There's a there's a concept in Greek which is hamartia, which is the fatal flaw. You know, which is basically like in the movie when the main character has it all made and the door is right there and all they have to do is walk through it, but they look back and succumb to temptation, and that's what unravels the whole thing. That's the hamartia. The hamartia here, in my opinion, was the share repurchases of GBTC. Yep, that was it. The irony is like the amount of havoc that, that that trade has caused on crypto as an industry is enormous, including to the issuer of GBTC yeah, themselves. Yeah. Because if you if you rewind the clock and go back to, I actually forget what dates these repurchases were made, if it was 2021 or 2022. Right. But when the premium started to shift to a discount on GBTC, there were share repurchases from GBTC. And we now know where that money was coming from. And, you know, it didn't yeah. turn it around. It it went from a 15 or 20% discount all the way down to 60. Although it's caught and a bit. No, and and, and the problem is it can't, right? Because the people causing the discount are bigger than you. Mm. And that's why closed end funds trade at discounts. Because very, very large, sophisticated pools of capital say, huh, there's an asset liability mismatch here. I can take advantage of that. I can short the crud out of this security and I can go long and I can take no risk. I can take no risk, but I can force the price down. And what it takes is a killing of the golden goose. And it said Harvard management made a fortune as did a company called city of London uh, doing this. They would go to a closed end bond fund that was selling at a big discount and they would accumulate 10% of the shares call a special meeting say to the shareholders, wouldn't you like us to be in charge where we will shut down the fund, give you back your bonds, and you'll get 100 cents on it? Of course. Well, the manager's like, no, no, no. I like those fees. Those fees are very good to me. Sorry. Done. And close, 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 close. When you close a closed-end fund, tell you a discount, you get your money back. Same thing's true here, right? The trust is real. The Bitcoin are real. That's not the problem. The problem is the shorting of the shares by big banks and Citadel-esque, I won't say Citadel, but Citadel-esque types. And 
you can't stop that because no. they're bigger than Barry trying to buy some shares because his ego's bruised because it's selling a discount. That has nothing to do with you. It's not, it's not the quality of the asset. It's the life of a closed end fund. And long story short, um, what should happen, they should shut the baby down and they should distribute the Bitcoin and everybody wins. Except the person who owns the golden goose who likes the $200 million a year of fees. But The fees. The fees, Mark, you know, you know what else is so there's 2.5% you're paying to own to hold Bitcoin in a, in a way that could be publicly traded. Here's the way those fees work, though. I'm, I'm pretty sure. So don't 100%. But I think you are paying is two or two and a half percent fee on the underlying yeah. of Bitcoin. So so this means if Bitcoin is trading, just to use really simple numbers. If Bitcoin is trading at 10,000 and right now the discount is you know, GBTC is trading at half of that. So it would be 5,000. You're not paying two and a half on the 5,000. You're two, you're paying it on the 10,000. So you yeah. are paying more, much yeah. more, right? Than yeah. on the face value of your GBTC shares. It's much higher fee than the, so anyway, so it- No, no, no it, it's, well, so, so yes, um, that is that is something that, that is all going to get resolved here. Uh, the muddy, the, the water just got muddier, you know, with, with the SEC announcements and- uh, we will see how this plays out. I'm sure we'll be talking about it more. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we future. will. I'm sure we will. All right, Mark, this has been a really fun one, my friend. Favorite hour of my week, best hour of my week. See you here same time. Uh, I right back at you. Uh, thank you again for all the prep work. Thank you for all the uh, elucidation on uh, Greek and, and Roman uh, <laughs> constructs. And if people don't know the Gordian knot, look it up. And you can also go, I did a letter years ago on... Um, uh, Alexander the Great and the Gordian mm. Knot. And uh, you can find that on the internet. And it's, it's actually a really, really cool construct. And Alexander the Great was amazing. I mean, yeah, one of like, the crazy like they always have, you know, I like to ask the question to people like, if you could go back in time and have dinner with anyone, who would it be? That's my top two. Leonardo is probably still my number one. And but, but Alexander the Great would be my number two. The dude. Yeah. But earlier in his, first of all, he was extremely young, but also earlier in his, later in his life, he would, they got, you know, annihilated at these, uh, these dinners, you know, post-conquest, he killed a couple of his generals. So he got a little bit, you know, rowdy at the end there. Yeah, I would have yeah, preferred yeah, the early prime, conquest, the prime, you know, the prime yeah, 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 yeah. Also his dad, Philip too, of Macedon, that would have been, that would have been an interesting one. All right, we've got to, got to end it here. You but are too good. You are too good. <laughs> I'm a huge nerd for that. I mean, this is my, you're, this is my jam. So I, I love you're this the stuff. You're the man. All right, Mark. See you next week. See ya.